0: We're returning today to the book of James in our series called Faith That Works. And you may remember we're reading through Proverbs as well, a very practical book about wisdom. So we're going to hear first from Proverbs chapter 3, uh, and Kelly's going to read it for us. Uh, to help us with James, I'll then mention a couple of things connecting Proverbs to James, and then Dougal will read from James us. Thanks.
1: My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the deeps were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew.
0: My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. The book of Hebrews says that the Lord's discipline uh, is when we suffer. It's his way of helping us to grow. And do you remember in James, right back at the beginning, it said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of many kinds. How could you do that? You'd need a lot of wisdom, wouldn't you? And so James has been about the book of, has been about suffering, but also wisdom. So that we have a faith that works. We're going to hear now from James chapter 4 and 5. And it's particularly about wealth and poverty and how to respond. Thanks, Duke. So today's reading is
2: James chapter four, thirteen through to 511, pages 1268 on your church Bible. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because the misery that is coming upon you your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days look the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too ought to be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other. Brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy.
3: Thanks, Stugald. Um, do keep that passage open, uh, James chapter 4 and 5. Uh, it's good to be here this morning, if I haven't uh, met you yet, I'm James Brooks, one of the ministry team uh, and it's great that we can uh, look at God's Word together this morning. Uh, there is an outline that uh, hopefully you got uh, on the way in uh, and you might like to, if you've got the James Faith That Works books that we've been uh, taking notes in for growth groups this term, and you can uh, pop that in there uh, as well. It does feel like it's been a little while since we've looked at James. Uh, a few weeks back, we had uh, uh, David Mansfield uh, sharing with us uh, f- about Anglican Aid, uh, and we've had a couple of weeks uh, on the societal uh, issue, uh, the question of marriage for same-sex couples, the last couple of weeks. Uh, but we are coming back to James now. We're going to be looking at James this week and next, and we'll finish off uh, the letter there. Uh, but at the beginning, we we looked at an overview of James. Uh, and do you remember the verse that we? highlighted that we sort of brought our attention to there at the beginning of James. It's James chapter 1 verse 22. Come with me, James chapter 1, if you don't have it. Uh, I don't have it so I'll get it. Um, And in these red Bibles it's 1,266. James chapter 1 verses 21 and 22. Get rid of Yes, well, it starts at 21. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This verse kind of captures up that key theme that undergirds and holds together the letter of James. This is what faith that works looks like. Uh, sometimes uh, in James, as we go through the book, it can feel like a jumble of, of wisdom, of uh, things here and things there in the Christian life. Um, but James, this is the theme that holds it all together, faith that works, humbly uh, repenting and receiving the implanted Word and acting on it. James is writing to Christians who need to continue to repent, humbly receive the Word of God and act on it. Sounds just like us. Uh, or many of us, doesn't it? Uh, we, it, it? We don't, you see, make it in the Christian life. Being a Christian isn't about getting to that point where you like, you say, yes, finally, the victory is done and I can live now at peace here on earth. All of the sin is dealt with. No, we don't get there, this side of heaven. But we continue to struggle against sin in various parts of our lives. And the the place that James takes us today uh, is an area that's particularly relevant for us living in the Western world and the culture that we live. Arrogant presumption and the love of money are the two issues we particularly see. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're not sure, can I encourage you and particularly welcome you? It's great to have you. Uh, I just want to stress that the focus of this part of God's Word is about what it means to live as a follower of Jesus not how to become one, okay? It's about uh, when your life, when you become a Christian, your life is changed, transformed, but there's also an ongoing transformation that happens. That's why Christians might refer to themselves as forgiven sinners. That's sadly why we as Christians still hurt one another and that happens in churches. We never stop needing forgiveness, but thankfully, God continues to overflow with love and compassion. And so this here is about how God and brings about that ongoing transformation in our lives, those of His people. Now uh, James is is writing to those who've had God's word planted in them. Uh, We saw that uh, back in chapter one. Those who have humbly, who who have had uh, God's Spirit change them, and the area that we're focusing on, as I said, uh, is our attitude to planning and money. Let me pray for us as we look at this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you speak to us. Lord, let us be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to be defensive as we hear your word. Let us humbly receive it and act on the wisdom that leads to humility, getting rid of all kinds of double-mindedness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first place uh, where we're taken this morning is in our power, power to plan or maybe power to do as you please. Let's see, uh, chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Now, listen, uh, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist, a bubble that appears for a little while and then goes pop. For many of us living in a Western country like this, in Australia, we have the power to do as we please, don't we? We see it really as just a normal part of life, a human right, you might say, of the power to... Direct the course of my life. No one else has that power. The power to do as I please. And you, the power to do as you please. But you see, we're less quick to acknowledge that this is actually not a common human right to all people in the world. Rather, we stand in a privileged position that really we take for granted. A privilege that comes from wealth. Now, wealth is charmingly deceptive, isn't it? It deludes us into thinking that our way of life is normal, that this is right and normal, but actually there's a massive freedom that we're given that is so easy to take for granted. I was reflecting on our society and and just the wealth of our society here in Australia. We have rest days built into the very framework of our society. Weekends, Saturday and Sunday. In, in Australia, full-time permanent employment requires employees to provide workers with annual leave and sick days and parental leave and other things. So, you know, casual workers, those who aren't uh, the full-time permanent employees, uh, they're meant to receive a higher pay, a, a loading, so that they might cope when there's not work available for them or when they do need that time off. Many of us are blessed to not have to live hand to mouth each week, each day. That if we didn't work a day, we wouldn't eat that day. And our wealth gives us great power power that so easily becomes presumption. And just think about one significant expense that so many of us take for granted uh, owning your own car our family uh, has been here in the Hawkesbury a little under a year Uh, and although I haven't been in the situation myself, I can imagine that getting around here in the Hawkesbury without a car would be pretty difficult and an arduous thing. Uh, You can't just go where you want to go, when you want to go, leave when you want to leave, you need to make your plans to suit well the significantly limited public transport and the times when it goes and I was talking to Sean and he said, well, you can only catch a bus from Currajong down to North Richmond in the morning. You can't catch one down in the afternoon because they don't run. And so even as Christians, we just so begin to presume arrogantly that I'm in control. I can choose what I want to do, where I want to go, where I'll go on holidays, for how long I'll go. And yes, look, I'll say a few prayers along the way just to get Jesus' blessing. But this confidence that comes from wealth is not a right. And it's not just a privilege, in fact, it's also a false confidence. It's just an illusion of control. Can we really make plans and expect them to happen without reference to the one who made us? or who saved us? Of course not. Not only is that just wrong, can you see how rude and offensive that is to God? I was thinking, say your five-year-old child or, or grandchild comes to you one morning with their plans for what they're going to do that day and how you're going to take them to you know, rock climbing first and then uh, over to lunch at Macca's, you'll pay of course, uh, come back and a movie and I'll be going to bed at 9.30 tonight, mum and dad. Can you imagine? You might laugh the first time, you know, they are just lost track of where, the, where their place in a sense for the moment but... Then they do it again and again and again and and 10 years later, your child, the 15-year-old, is following the same pattern. Can you imagine? It's, it's, It's horrendous, it's ludicrous. Can you imagine being used like that? I'd be incensed, outraged. I wonder how God feels when we do it again. And again. We might be afraid to ask. James chapter 4 verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. The direction that James points us to here isn't simply saying, oh look, if the Lord wills, inserting, you know, a religious disclaimer uh, in any of your plans or purposes. You know, you could even shorten it to uh, ITLW, if the Lord wills, ITLW, I'll be going here, ITLW, uh, or, or something else, yeah, well we'll do this, touch wood, or we'll do that, weather permitting. No, that's not what's going on here. It's not some little thing to tick box, Every breath you have comes from God. There's this misconception, I think, around in our society, and sometimes we can pick it up, about what God is like. That maybe He acts more like a cosmic clockmaker, the kind of set-and-forget style God who sets things up and lets them sit and run. Rather than, say, a potter, shaping a clay jar, hands-on, all the time. But don't be led astray. That is not the God of the Bible, the cosmic clockmaker, the set and forget. The God of the Scriptures is intimately involved in everything that happens in the world. Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17, all things were created by Him and for Him. Yes, yes, okay, heard that before. But continuing on, in Him all things hold together. He is the power behind what the scientific world call the strong nuclear force. You see, in every atom in you, every atom has protons and neutrons stuck together in the middle. Now, but but there's a bit of a problem there, because if there's protons and there's protons, they don't stay together, do they? They repel. But there's a force that keeps the nucleus together, in every single atom in the universe, called the strong nuclear force. And it doesn't just happen, God makes it happen. Why is there gravity between two objects in the universe, without which we would just fly off the earth? Not just because there's gravity, because there's gravity, because there's gravity, but because of Him. Because He keeps it that way. He gives you every breath you take. He he holds the nerves together so that they can conduct the electrical signals such that your heart pumps in just the right fashion to get the blood going out the right way, so that your lungs expand. How fleeting we really are in the scheme of things. I was thinking about it. As a a child, everything seems to take forever, doesn't it? You, know, you can imagine a whole year passing when you're five and that's like one-fifth of your life. It's... And yet as we, we get older, things start to go faster as well and we, I think, get more of a sense of just how quick things pass and how short our life is. We do not. We might be able to say that, but do we really believe it? We don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Look, been, look at what's been going on around the world with terror attacks, a bombing in London on Friday. My parents are on the way to New York. Natural disasters, the, the, the hurricanes, the, the floods, the earthquake in Mexico, feuding nations, 300,000 people displaced from Myanmar into Bangladesh. We're blessed to live in a stable nation like Australia, aren't we? How easily we take it for granted. Or personal health. I was at school, um, when I was at school, we were at the end of year 11 going into year 12 and one of the guys from our year went over to Eastern Europe to visit some relatives um, and he never came back. He... uh, lost consciousness in a bath and drowned, 16, 17. Another young adult uh, in my group of friends, uh, a little while ago now, went home from work with a headache. Ended up in hospital with an aneurysm. Half of his skull removed to relieve the pressure of the blood in his brain so that he didn't have more significant brain damage. So very close to losing his life. But now on a very different course from what he thought that afternoon. And I'm sure you know of circumstances in your and others' lives where things change dramatically. Not only are our lives so fleeting, but even the very illusion of power that wealth brings us is precarious too, isn't it? Who can forget the GFC? I can't believe that it started 10 years ago, that long ago. But how quickly things can change and financial security can disappear overnight. R- retirement plans changed, job security lost. You see, humbly receiving the implanted word will mean actually using our freedom to live as those who are the children of the King in His direction, in that big purpose, rather than living the way we want and seeking to fit the King in somewhere else. If we're Christians, that's our identity. That's who we are, belonging to Him, and so, have you got a, a Jesus-shaped life? You know, while we meet down here, uh, that we've got a junior high growth group as part of our youth ministry here at church that meets up in the, uh, St. Stephen's, the old church building, and it's called 4JED. Now, I didn't know uh, what that was when I first got here, that name was there before I came, but it's 4JED, 4-J-E-D, 4 Jesus Every Day. <laughs> And that's exactly what that's about. It's about living for Jesus every day. If you're a follower of Jesus, are you not just following Jesus every day in the little decisions, the, well, I should love my neighbour, I should uh, respect my spouse, I should be kind to my kids, but are you following Jesus in the big decisions, the big directions, how you might be serving God with your life. How to think, what's God doing in the world and how do I fit into His plan rather than this is my plan and where can I sort of fit God in around the side? This kind of double-mindedness is not in accord with being in Christ. Uh, but here James turns to another area of life where the, the, the battle, if you like, The battle of faith that works must continue to work out and our attitude to money. Uh, There's grasping in plenty on the one hand, there's grumbling in want and both bring God's judgment. Did you notice that? Let's read uh, chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. As we read this, it it seems a little bit hard to think, well, is this written to Christians? Is this written to people in the church? Surely not, like that this thing would be going on, but as I wrestle with it and and thinking about it, I'm convinced that it is. Partly even just down in verse 9, speaking to those who are the poor and oppressed, don't grumble against who? Against each other. This is going on in the church. This is going on, because as I said, when people come to Christ, there's a change in them, but their ongoing transformation continues to be happening. Now when we come to this, though, how does it speak to us? I think in Australia, we do well here, don't we? Well in a sense that we can excuse ourselves on both accounts. Well, look, you know we're not the wealthy, we're not the, the rich, the really rich. And, and we're not the, the we're not the poor. We're middle class, aren't we? You know, we're ne- neither neither wealthy or poor. There's there's plenty of people with more money than what I've got. I can't buy my. I don't know if you've seen. It seems to be a little bit of a thing going around the Hawkesbury at the moment. The Ford Mustangs, the new version of that. There's plenty of those driving around at the moment. Um, or whether it's whether it's the house that is. The hobby or the whatever it might be. But we are wealthy, aren't we? We are wealthy. Uh, There's a website, I don't know if you've heard of it, you might like to jot it down, it's quite an interesting thing, it's called the Global Rich List, Uh, globalrichlist.com or just just you could search how wealthy am I and you'll find it. And you put in your annual income, Uh, you know, annual income, $80,000, say, what do you think? Top 15% of the world? Top 10, top 5, you know, maybe? Top 0.26% of the world. We are wealthy. And how easily it is for us to oppress the poor, sometimes without realising it, or intentionally. And the rotting of our wealth, gathered for ourselves, will testify against us. Remember the story that Jesus told of, of, of Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, Luke chapter 16, the rich man dressed in purple, lived in luxury every day, while at his gate there's, there's the beggar, Lazarus. The dogs came and licked his sores, he longed to eat the food from the rich man's table, that, that fell from the rich man's table. What did the rich man do wrong in that story? What did he do wrong? Nothing, right? Not that he did nothing wrong, but that he did nothing. Nothing. That's what was wrong. He did nothing. He didn't do anything. The sin of omission. In the busyness of life, it's so easy to see needs and not do something about it. But that won't excuse our inaction for the poor and needy on the judgment day. Let it not be so. Let... God, use what He has given us for His glory that it might be revealed on that day and Him be honoured. And wealthy people can use their wealth for good. It's it's lovely to see people's generosity, to hear about it. We've had a, a sign on the wall, I'm not sure where it is right at the moment, with the children in... Tegelabaran City in the Philippines, who we sponsor collectively as a church. The giving to Mission Aviation Fellowship, Fuel for Father's Day, that we heard a couple of weeks ago. To Anglicare, to Anglican Aid, to BCA, to CMS, to... I heard uh, as we approached the building on our, on our site here, a woman who gave generously to the ministry here at the church and who left a bequest for $100,000 for the property to be built, enabling us to make that building happen just that that much quicker. It's wonderful to see it, isn't it? But it's not always like that. And even in our gathering, our grasping our holding on and hoarding, that doesn't just happen personally but there's a sense of complicitness in our society as we are involved in various things. Consider Sunday trading. You know, I uh, appreciate the fact that after church I can just get a hot hot chook from Coles and make lunch easily and quickly. But there was a time I'm sure many of you remember when the shops weren't open on Sunday, were they? And you couldn't just duck down to Coles or Kmart for that thing that you forgot and didn't get, you know, during the week or... was a great convenience now, of course, but who is it that suffers? They probably wouldn't be here because they'd be working. It's those who have to work the seven-day rotating roster and have no choice about it. Also, the shift in, at a corporate level from full-time employment to, to, to contractors who need to bid to get the job that they used to do. Uh, risk being, accept something lower or risk being undercut by someone else. And of course, there's the developing world workers who are paid a pittance to provide our society, our society with the cheap and plentiful goods that we just expect. Let us weep and wail And repent of our grasping in plenty. But God's word here doesn't just speak to the rich, also to the poor and unjustly oppressed. Let's look at this a little bit more briefly. Verse 7 Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You see, it's not just the rich who need to repent, but the poor as well. You see, for the battle is not about the circumstance of plenty or want, but the battle is double-mindedness and love of money. That's what's going on. Do you remember the story of uh, Jesus a man came to Jesus seeking justice between him and his brother. He came and he said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, Luke chapter 12. And Jesus doesn't just say, right, let's go, I'll come with you, we'll sort this out straight away. None of this. What does he say? He says, watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Whether you have plenty or want, how easy is it to grumble about those who have more. We're grumbling over chips when, as God's children, we'll inherit the kingdom of, we'll inherit the earth. But we're told to be patient. Patient like the farmer who plants his crops, fertilises and then has to wait. Not to be judgmental against those who have or have more, making assessments of how generous or ungenerous they are. Each one is answerable to their own master, the Lord Jesus. Then how they have used what the Lord has given them will be revealed. But even in the midst of injustice, James says, persevere. Think back to those trials mentioned at the start of James. Consider it pure joy, James says, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work to produce maturity in God. It's not, when I get my way, then I'll be mature in Christ, but it's when I persevere when things are hard that I'll get my way. Sorry, that I'll be mature in Christ. Uh, there's a song, um, just to finish with, uh, I've got a um, a love of kids' songs, uh, maybe from Soph as well, uh, but this song uh, is by a guy that I was at college with, his name is Ben Pakula, uh, and it's a great song, because often, even though we might not say it explicitly, or we know, yes, 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 things aren't always going to be perfect, but still, when things are hard, it's hard not to grumble, isn't it? It's hard not to think, gee God, why are you doing it this way? And poor, uh, Ben says, "He says this, perfect peace, perfect health, sharing in abundant wealth, no more death and no more sin, no more pain and suffering. Perfect life is found in Christ and we oh. will have it in the future when Jesus Christ returns. That's why we wait in hope. Don't be deceived, whether in plenty or want. Faith that works, works itself out as we struggle against sinful double-mindedness. We can't serve two masters, but this side of Jesus' return, even though we're not going to make it, we still battle on, because it's for His glory. Let's do that together as we live out being his children. Amen.